Welcome to Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and equips you to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6, let's get right to it today. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 25, therefore, meaning a continuation, Jesus is adding on to this more. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is life uh, more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap nor store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father, everyone say heavenly father, feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Sobering question, big question. Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. If you don't know what that means, pagans, they they don't believe in God. Jesus is saying, they worry about this stuff, but you believe in me. So don't be like them. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself And then each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you found that out to be true? Each day's got enough. If you're taking notes today, I want to speak to you from the subject of worry is worthless. All right? Worry is worthless. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So here's here's the gist of what we're talking about today. Here's the theme today. We are talking about worry. Look at your neighbor and say worry. Now, as we're doing that, in just a moment, we're going to get to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read a story uh, about a guy who had to deal with this thing called worry and the way that God responded to him because of that. But I think in talking about this subject, we really need to look at the words of Jesus found in Matthew 6, because it really does tell us something. It it speaks to us. It's amazing to know that over 2,000 years ago, there was a group of people, much like there is today, that found themselves in a place where they were worrying about the cares of this life. If we look around the time that we've been in for the past 20 to 21 weeks, I would say that a lot of people have begun to worry about a lot of things. And I think it's worth noting, and you might hear me say this a couple times during this message, God is okay with your uncertainty, but he is not okay with your worry. And that could sound a little insensitive because it could lead us to think that maybe God doesn't care about what we're feeling and what we're going through. But as we see in Matthew chapter six, that's not the case. God's okay with you making the statement, I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. That's uncertainty. He is against you though saying, I'm going to worry and it's okay. And the reason he's not okay with that is because Jesus himself says right here, do not worry. Can we say that together? Do not worry. Now let's say it like we're going to believe it and not worry. Do not worry. That's something that we have to get deep 
inside of our spirit here today, and it's got to be an action step that we take when we leave this place. And one of the reasons I think that's so important is because we have a world that is stricken with worry. And shouldn't it be that God's people who trust in God, who believe in God, who serve God, who have been faithful to God, wouldn't it be amazing if we chose to be the people to say, we are not going to worry like the rest of the world is worrying, and we're going to go out into this world, and we're going to put a smile on our face, and we're going to have the joy of the Lord, and we're going to point people towards Jesus. And the reason we can do that is because we don't worry. I think we got to get to that place. And maybe you're there. To that I say, amen, and so be it. Be there. But maybe for some of us, we, we, got the worry, uh, we, we got the worry meter going on. This is what I know about worry. Some of you, you don't worry about anything. Literally, like your spouse is worried about you. On issues that they think you should be worrying about, you're like, nah, I'm cool. To that I say, you should join us on the Central Coast because it's what we call slow living. Everybody just takes it easy. Come on over and join. But you don't worry. But then there's the other side. You worry about everything. I mean, everything, everything. Matter of fact, you worry so much that the people around you, they pick up your worry and they carry it for you. Have you ever believed or do you believe that worry has the ability to take life expectancy off your life? You you believe that? People just worry, worry. Who knows if it's true, but I will say this, it does take a quality off your life when you allow worry to dominate your life. But then there's some of us, I think, in this time where worry wasn't too big of a factor But because of everything going on, now we've begun to worry. And what I love about the Bible and what I love about Jesus is even in an issue that he was speaking out on 2,000 plus years ago, he's still speaking to us today. So it's from Matthew 6 that I think we get some bullet points that I I think are worth sharing before we get to our main story today. So this is going to seem like a very long introduction, okay? But we'll get to 1 Kings and I'll give you some, some points to walk away with and we'll leave here encouraged. I think the first thing Jesus would say about worry is simply this. Worry is tied to the things that you are most devoted to. In other words, you don't worry about things that don't have your heart, that don't have your mind. Let me give you an example. And and I might be in hot waters here. Normally I am when I say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because it's become a tradition now. Mike Edgerly, I don't know where you are, but I'm coming after you. Here's how it works. I don't care about the L.A. Dodgers. I never have. And so because I don't care about the L.A. Dodgers, they don't have my devotion, meaning, therefore, I don't worry about them. Because let me give you how it's going to work. Major League Baseball has opened up a 60-game season. They have the best team on paper, the best team. So here's how it's going to work. They're going to have a great season, maybe the best record. They're going to get to the playoffs. They're going to win the games. They're going to get to the World Series, and and it's going to happen. Kershaw it's coming for you. Kershaw is going to blow the only two games that he pitches in, and they're going to lose the World Series because of it. And you know what I'm talking about because you're applauding right now. You get it. So here's what I'm saying. They don't have my devotion, therefore I'm not worrying about it. Rest of you Dodger fans, you all need to pray. Take the words of Jesus. Do not worry. Let me tell you what worry is tied to, though. Worry is tied to your marriage, your children, your occupation, your finances. Why? Because it has your heart. You will only worry about the things that you are devoted to. Jesus would say that. The second thing Jesus would say, and he actually said it in verse 27, is this, is which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? I mean, it's almost like at that point right there, you want to, hey, today we're talking about worry, and Jesus says in verse number 27, who can add a single hour? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray. That should be it. 
Jesus literally says, look, here's the deal. You're not gonna add a single second, minute, hour, day, week, month, year, century, decade, whatever, to your life by sitting around and worrying about all the things going on. And Jesus points that out. He says, look, don't, don't worry about that. He also goes on to say this, is that the reason many of us worry is because we can't control the future. For the most part in the now, even if our now seems a little chaotic, we, we kind of get to the place where, okay, I can tolerate the now. It's the nows that come tomorrow that cause us to worry. And those are the nows that you can't control. Listen, we all know this. No one saw it coming. And it came. And it's here. We'd all agree upon that. But the reason people worry is because they can't, they can't control that. How about this one? Jesus actually gives the answer to worry. That's what I love about Jesus. You know what culture is really good at? Culture sometimes is very good at showing you exactly what the problem is. But very rarely do they ever give you a solution. Jesus points out the problem. He says, you're worried about what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, what you're going to eat. Why don't you consider the birds? They fly around. They don't store away anything, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Matter of fact, why don't you consider the flowers? They don't toil. They don't spin. Translation, Jesus is saying, they don't get all up really and just have to grab everything and make it all happen. They're cool. He says, why don't you learn a lesson from them? And he says, don't worry. So Jesus gives the answer to worry. And here's what he says. You have to change the things that you're devoted to. Jesus would say, you defeat worry when you change what you seek first. So Jesus does all of this illustration, gets to verse 33, what's it say? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all. Can we all say all? And all these things. What do you mean all? What's he saying to the group? He's saying, you're worried about what you wear, what you drink, what you eat. Stop putting your focus on that. Put it on me and I'll give you those things. It's literally a guarantee. So he's saying, stop focusing on that. Stop being in hyper-focus. Put your eyes on me. Seek my kingdom. Seek my righteousness. And all these things will be added. Meaning you won't have any lack in your life. He got you covered. That's a good Jesus, amen? So Matthew chapter six, man, Jesus just lays it out. He's simply saying, don't worry, I've got you, and every little thing's gonna be all right. And if you grew up in the 80s and you know R&B, you know exactly what I'm saying right now. All right, but now let's get real. Let's get to a story. Let's get to a guy who literally had to face this, and maybe you might find yourself in that story today. The story we're getting ready to read, it's in 1 Kings, if you wanna flip over over to their first Kings, chapter 19. Now, in chapter 18, the context of the story is laid out, and we find a guy who actually had a lot of things to worry about, just like you and I do. And there's a question that God asks him in this, in this story that is a question that I'm gonna be asking you at the end of this message that I'm really gonna ask you to consider. And the reason that I want you to consider it is because I believe this to be true. If worry is dominating your life, it is this one question that God asks Elijah that I want you to ask yourself here today because the goal of this message here today is to not just to give you a pretty little sermon, bag on the Dodgers, and be full of hyper energy. The goal of this sermon or this message is to get you to a place where if worry is dominating your life, before you walk out of those doors, you have a handle on worry and you don't worry 
That's the goal. So, so let me give you some context of what's going on here. The nation of Israel became a kingdom, and there were kings. So the first king that comes along is a guy by the name of King Saul. We all know that. After King Saul becomes a king by the name of David, we all know that. And then David, after David, comes a guy by the name of Solomon. Now, at this point, what begins to happen is the kingdom is split into a north kingdom and into a southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom would be what we would know to as Israel, would be referred to as Israel. The southern kingdom would be referred to as as Judah. Okay, so they've got these two things going on. In this particular story, it's about 860 BC, and there's a king by the name of Ahab, and he's the kingdom of the northern kingdom, and he's a wicked king. He's turned his back on God. He's led people astray. And so God, loving the kingdom and the people, sends a prophet by the name of Elijah to go and have a conversation with this king to let him know what's about uh, getting ready to happen. So the story goes, Elijah comes to this king by the name of Ahab, and here's pretty much how the conversation is, is summed up. He said, here's the deal. God's going to get your attention, Ahab. The rain is going to cease. It's done. It's going to stop. So after that, he has this conversation, and then Elijah just takes off uh, because God says, look, you need to take off because when this thing hits, people are going to start to point to you. You're a prophet of God. They're going to start blaming you, and they're going to want to kill you. So you need to go. So he goes into hiding, and Ahab's probably thinking, yeah, right, this guy can't turn off the water. Well, one month comes, two months come, and all of a sudden, three months come, and there is no water, and the land and the people go berserk. They begin to worry. The crops begin to die. The animals begin to die. The water is drying up, and they've got a very, very crazy situation on their hands, much like we have a crazy situation upon our hands. And so Elijah's gone. Ahab's dealing with all this stuff. And then after three years, God comes to Elijah and says, okay, it's time for you to go back. Now, let me just pause here. If you're the prophet of God who just told the king that the land's going to dry up, and it does, and you just disappear for a long period of time, you might be thinking to yourself, hey, God, I don't know if you've had a conversation with God where you try to tell him something you think he doesn't know. (laughs) Hey, uh, God, I don't know if you know this, but they might be pretty upset with me here. So do you think if I go back, my life is going to be okay? Because I know I have to tell them something important, but they're probably very upset with me. That's what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking like, God, surely there are more prophets than just me. You could send somebody else to do this. Lord, you're God. You could send an angel, and an angel could speak on behalf of me. No, no, no. God says, Elijah, you go tell him. Because God's got a story for Elijah as well. So Elijah goes back, begins to have a conversation, and then he gets us to a very familiar story that a lot of us are familiar with. It's where the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, go up on the Mount Carmel, and they're getting ready to have a demonstration to see whose God is real and whose God is not. So that's what happens. 400 prophets of Baal go up, and all of a sudden, Elijah says, okay, now you tell your guys to build an altar and to call down fire from above, and we'll see if your God's real. And then I'll Pray to my God and build my altar, and we'll see if my God is real. If you have time later on today, you should really go back to Matt. Oh, I'm sorry, go back to 1 Kings 18, because I think there's actually a portion in Scripture. I believe God has a sense of humor. 
where you go back to that story and as these guys are building their altar and they're crying out and they're dancing around and they're cutting themselves. I mean, the, the, the scene's chaotic when you read the story. And I could just imagine, here's Elijah over on his side and he's building his altar and he's looking back at these guys going, what in the world are these guys doing over here? I mean, they're just, they're having a scene. So he literally goes, oh, I see no fires coming down yet. You know, he's building his altar. Maybe your God's taking a nap today. Who knows what's going on? And so he's just doing his deal. Well, to make a long story short, fire doesn't come. So then Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. The man of God says, my turn now. Oh, but wait, by the way, before I pray to my God, take water, which by the way, they've been in a drought. There's been no rain. Take water and pour it over the altar I've built. As if maybe to say, I don't want you to think this is some trick. They, they soak his altar in water. He prays, fire comes down and is lit. And I guarantee you those people standing around are going, yep, I think his God is actually the real God. It's an amazing story. So then this happens, the fire starts, and now at this point, Elijah, man, he's like a rock star. I mean, not only does this guy get sent by God, not only does he say what God tells him to say, he does all of this amazing stuff. And all of a sudden, he tells Ahab, you need to go back to your city. The rain is getting ready to come. So what does Ahab do? He runs back to his city, and he goes to speak to his wife, whose name is Jezebel. And if you know anything about Jezebel in the Bible, this is not good. She is wicked to the 10th power, and I'm not even good at math, but that's a lot, right? It's a lot. She's bad. And all of a sudden, the story picks up in 1 Kings 19. So there is my very long introduction just for you so you can now understand what's getting ready to happen to this man of God who up until this point has been directed and used in such a mighty way. And I need you to remember that because it's going to be important. Look at verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel... Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword, the guys who led the people astray. Now, I want you to know these are all her prophets because she was like the queen of Baal worship. So now she's upset. She's like, this guy did what? He calls down fire from heaven and then kills my prophets? I mean, this guy was a bad mamma jamma, right? So all of a sudden, she's like, okay. Verse two, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severity. Now watch. If by this time, let me pause. What's that next word? Tomorrow. Can we say that together? Say tomorrow. It's important. She's like, hey, okay. May the gods deal with me. But Elijah, this time, not today, but tomorrow. I do not make your life like that of one of them. What's she talking to? She's saying, hey, like all those prophets died at your sword? In other words, Elijah, I'm coming to get you. I'm going to kill you. Now, I'm reading this, and from our perspective, in understanding chapter 18 and all the things that God has done in Elijah, and the way that Elijah has listened to God, I would read this and go, what does this guy have to worry about? He's been used mightily by God. He's a prophet for God. He does all of this stuff. He, I would think the conversation would go after he got the, the letter from the messenger. Okay, take this back to your queen. Two words, bring it. I would think so. 
but he doesn't. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Why? I don't want you to miss this. How does he go from being confident, powerful, used by God, to a man now on the run, at the threat of being killed, not today, but tomorrow? But he does. Now, here's what I would suspect from any of us. Maybe not all, maybe just some. If I were to drop into your life and who you are and look at God's past faithfulness to you and all the things he's done in your life up until this point, if I was to drop in and see all of that and hear the stories of the times that God came through for you, I might be tempted to say to you what we might feel tempted to say to Elijah. And it's simply this, what are you worried about? I mean, when you read this story and all that God does, and you're standing in the room with Elijah and he goes, hey guys, it's a bad day. She's coming after me. She's gonna kill me, right? And you know that he's a man of God? Don't you think somebody in that room would just say, hey, you ain't got nothing to worry about. God's on your side. And I would look at all of us and I would say, look, you might be in here today or you might be watching online and you've got some worry in your life and it's paralyzing you, it's stopping you. It's on your mind all the time. You can't shake it. But yet there's a, there's a past in your life where God's done much more for you than what you're facing right now. I would look at you and say, you ain't got nothing to worry about. God is that big. I want you to write this down because I think it's worth noting. God's faithfulness of the past is our confidence for today and the future. That's what it comes down to. God's faithfulness of the past is your confidence for today and the future. But you look at Elijah and he totally blanked out on God's past faithfulness because of this threat of tomorrow. He literally abandoned everything. Because he forgot. Reminds me of the story of the disciples. Jesus just got done feeding the multitudes. Bible says 5,000, but we know this to be true. They didn't count the children and the women. So we're talking tens and thousands of people are fed with some fish and some loaves. What a miracle. And the very next story, the fishermen are on the boat in the middle. The storm's coming, and they're afraid for their lives. Now remember, all of them took... Each, each took a basket, 12 baskets back to that boat. So I had to have to think in that story, if I put myself in it, surely at some point when the waves are going back and forth and back and forth, one of those disciples had to make eye contact with one of those baskets. And you think it would have been a reminder, hey, he fed the multitudes with this. This storm should be nothing. You've got Jesus. But they don't. They panic. I think it's because they forgot the greatness of what Jesus can do. And let's just shoot straight here. I know we can do that. We're family. We've all been there. We've all been to that point where the worries of today become so big 
that we just forget. And this story draws our attention to how detrimental that could be to us. I believe that there is power when we look back and see God's faithfulness so that in the now and in the tomorrow, we could walk forward in confidence, trusting that God will do what only God can do. Amen? I believe that to be true. I know you do too, but you got to remember. So the story continues on. Elijah goes on the run. And in verse number three, he, he came to Beersheba and Judah. Just to give you some perspective, he goes 100 miles. Some would say it would be about a two-week journey. He, he says, I got to get out of here. I'm on the run. I'm in fear of my life. He goes 100 miles. And the Bible says in verse four that while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, this is after, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I mean, this is getting severe. You talk about worry and anxiety about tomorrow getting the best of you. He's done. And he says these words, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Translation, I'm better off dead. So then it goes on in verse five. Then he laid down under the tree. He fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. This is the first sign, Elijah. God's not done with you. God sends an angel. So he looked around and there by his head was some bread and some baked over some hot coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and then he laid down again. It's like he got a, he got a good meal after Sunday church and then he took a nap. It's gonna happen today around two or three o'clock. Trust me, it's gonna be great. He goes back to sleep. The second time in verse seven, the angel comes back, touched him and said, get up and eat. That's a good angel right there, by the way. Keeps feeding. I like that angel. For the journey is too much for you. In other words, you're stressed out, you're worried, but God's not done and this journey is gonna be long. So you better eat up. So it says in verse Verse eight, so he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, which is the mountain of God. I think it's worth noting, what, what is Horeb? It's what we would refer to as Mount Sinai. It's where Moses would, would get the 10 commandments. It's where he saw the burning bush. You know, it's where the Jewish people believed that God dwelt. So what's the translation here? That's where they believed God was. And he travels a hundred miles, sleeps, then travels another 40 days, 40 nights, just to get as close to God as he possibly can. And this is what I love about God. God says, okay, you're ready to leave. You wanna die. You're worried about tomorrow. You, and now you're close to me. So then God starts to have a conversation with him. And this is where it gets really good. This is why I love the Bible. The Bible's a great read. I tell people all the time, the Bible's, if they say the Bible's boring, I say respectfully, no, you're boring. The Bible's got great stories. I mean that respectfully, of course, but truthfully. 1 Kings 19.9 says, there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. And here's the question I talked about at the beginning of the message that I think centers all of us today if we're bound by worry, and it's simply this. Here's what he said. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God and Elijah are having a, a conversation. You shouldn't be here, Elijah. What are you doing here? And I read that, and I just begin to think about 
you and, and me and those of you even watching today, where during this time of 20 to 21 weeks, wherever we are, I'm lost in it now. It's almost August, and I'm like, wait, what? And I start to think about maybe all the places we've gone mentally, emotionally, physically. In this time, we've seen more marriages take a hit, more depression set in, more issues than we, we know what to do with or even how to handle. I have found myself, as I'll share here in just a moment, in places mentally that I have no place being at. You ever been there? You ever gotten so low in your mind because of all the worry and anxiety and doubt and fear and all those things that come up that you just go, why? Why am I here? This is what God's saying to Elijah. We say, well, you don't belong here. What are you doing? So Elijah replies in verse 10, and here's what he says. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and they put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, God, what do you mean what am I doing here? Would you rather me stay so they can come and kill me? Or would you rather me run? I mean, he starts having this dialogue with God. It's almost like, it's like, God, what do you mean? This is what everybody would do. And God's like, no. And then God just shifts this conversation in verse 11. It's like God doesn't even answer his question right here. He wants to show him something. So it says in verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, we don't know what, what went through Elijah's head in that moment. It might have been what you might think, like, and what's that going to do? Just go stand out there, huh? And when you read it, he, he doesn't obey. He actually stays in the cave. God is speaking to him. So then it says in verse 11, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Get that visual in your mind. Wind comes through, rocks are flying everywhere. Wow. Then it says, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. So now everything's rumbling around. Then after the earthquake, verse 12 and 13, came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. We got wind, we've got earth, we've got fire, and a drum solo. And after the fire, here's what comes, and this is why I love God, for so many reasons. After the fire, there came a gentle whisper. You know the truth about whispering is, I could only hear you whisper if you're close. Now, my mother-in-law, hi, Mom, she can't whisper. She tries to whisper, but it's like you and I talking. I know I'll pay for this later. I love you. But when someone whispers, the proximity is close. You think with everything you're facing, God's walked out on you? You think God's just go, they shouldn't be worrying about this. What are they doing? That's it. I'm going to create some space. God, don't do that. 
he's close. And he whispers. And verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And as we get ready to close our time, I'll just kind of go through the next few verses. Elijah, in verse 14, he actually starts to re-dialogue the first excuse he gave. Except this time, I think he began to realize the magnitude of God. For the rocks begin to fall, the earth begin to shake, the fire begin to come. And all of a sudden, he realized that his excuse on why he's worrying and full of anxiety really doesn't hold any merit. It's not good enough. It's like the prodigal son rehearsing his message to come back to his father. I'm going to tell him this. I'm going to tell him that. When you read the story, do you notice what the prodigal son's dad does? He totally disregards the story and starts loving on his son. Because here's the truth. Our excuses and coming back to God, they really don't matter. When you need his love and you go to him, he is simply there. And he's ready to restore you and to set things right and to put you on your way again. I know, we're, I know we're used to it. Oh, I got to tell him why. Your excuses don't matter to God. Just go to him. And he sets it all up. So Elijah starts to do the same thing. But he knows, not good enough. And then all of a sudden, God begins to understand. Well, God understands. Elijah begins to understand. Okay, God's not done with me. So then in verse 15, all the way through 18, God says, okay, Elijah, I got some work for you to do. Here's what you need to do. Go appoint this person to be king. This guy right here is going to be the king. He's going to take over Ahab and Jezebel because they got to go. Oh, and by the way, I need you to go over and tell these guys they're new prophets. They're taking your place because you got to go do something else. So God just begins to give him assignments. And Elijah's like, cool, got this, just begins to go on. I love that because it gives me this picture of when I take my worries to God and I give them to him, his plan and his purposes for my life, they're still there. If you're taking notes, I want you to put down this second thing that I think is important and then I'll share a story. As Jesus taught and as Elijah learned the hard way, by the way, do what only you can do today and trust God with your tomorrow. At the end of the day, whatever your worry is, listen, if your worry is your marriage, during this time it has suffered, do what you can do today. Start a conversation. Ask for forgiveness. Set a plan in motion to have a stronger marriage. Do it today and trust God with the rest. If your worry is your, your financial situation, do what you can do today and trust God with the rest. You can take any scenario of what you're going through. Do what only you can do and God will do what God does. There's things in the natural that we can do so God can work the supernatural. It's throughout the whole Bible. Okay, you have lack, go get some jars. Grab some oil, you begin to pour, I'll do the rest. They got the things in the natural. God did the supernatural. Okay, these people are hungry. Where's the fish? Where's the bread? Natural, supernatural. What am I trying to say to you? There are things in the natural that you need to begin to do so God can set up 
the supernatural. But you got to do what only you can do. All right. So where'd this come from? If you're joining us online from slow, this is actually week three of a series we did called Worry is Worthless. For those of you joining us here today in Bakersfield, this is just a part one. But let me tell you where it came from. It came from, for me, one of the biggest seasons of worry I have ever wrestled with in my life. Now, I might share this story and you might go, oh, ye of little faith, just like Jesus did. And I want to let you know I'm okay with that. It's about six, seven weeks ago, I get a phone call from a pastor in Pismo. And great guy. Met him a few weeks earlier at a prayer gathering that we had along the Central Coast. Great guy, Pastor David. Pastor David partnered with the USDA Farmers to Families Food Box Initiative. And he called me and he said, hey, I wanted to let you know about this opportunity where we have the ability to have 20-pound fresh produce boxes to serve the needs of our community here along the Central Coast. And uh, we have a Zoom meeting going on today. And if you're not battling from Zoom fatigue, you're welcome to join us. And I said, yeah, man, that sounds great. So I hop on this Zoom call, phenomenal guy, a lot of pastors, more down towards the Pismo area, we're in San Luis Obispo. And as I'm talking about this, and as they're talking about this, I go, man, you know what, this could be a pretty cool idea. They're saying we can come and grab as many boxes as we'd like, and then we can take them and distribute them um, to those around our community. And it can give our church the ability to serve the needs of people. That's a great idea, that's a great plan. Well, at the same time of this all going on, I get a text message from Pastor Wendell and in only the way that Pastor Wendell can, and I love it because he's a, he's a man of faith, he says, you know what, you should do this there and slow. Now I'm thinking like, yeah, I can go grab some box. He goes, no, you should do it and slow. And I'm like, okay. And at the same time, I get a text message from Pastor Carl and all these things are beginning to line up. And I'm like, okay, there's this option of, I can play it really safe and partner in Pismo, which isn't a bad thing, Pastor David, and grab a few hundred boxes and make this happen. Or I could say yes to a semi-truck showing up every single Tuesday at our church with 1,650 to 1,800 boxes that because we don't have cold storage, I will then have to find a way to get out into the community every single Tuesday. Let this sink in. Okay, I'm gonna bring you to my world a little bit and meet the needs of people. And I thought, you know, this could be a really good idea. So Pastor David with the USDA Farmers, we can be, he's got the Pismo area and we can take care of the San Luis Obispo area. And then maybe we can find somebody for the Atascadero Pass. We could serve families all along the Central Coast. This is a great deal. So as I'm talking to a gentleman on the phone and he's like, hey, do you wanna do this or do you not? Without having a single thing that we need, which by the way, was a pallet jack, a forklift, volunteers, oh, and people to show up and actually grab all these boxes because I can't store them when it's over, by the way. And it's every single Tuesday until the end of the year without even having any of that. I go, absolutely, we're in. Married folk in here, have you ever said something to your spouse that as the words came out of your mouth, you were wishing you could grab them and bring them back in? That's the moment right there. Don't look at your spouse right now. It's not a good time to do that. Straightforward. I said the words and I'm like, oh man. And then that pit in my stomach begins to come. And I'm like, oh, we're on for this deal. So I'm like, okay, okay. So what do we need? He goes, okay, you you need a forklift. I'm like, don't got one. Strike one. 
Okay, what else do I need? He goes, you, you, you need a, you fork, a pallet jack up, strike two. You need volunteers. Well, I've got a church and I'm pretty sure they'll do it, but I'm not for sure. Strike three, strike four. A bunch of people need to know so the boxes are gone. I'm going, man, I am O for four right now. How in the world is this gonna work? And you can ask my wife, she's sitting on the front row. I was so worried about pulling this thing off, letting people down, falling short, that I was losing sleep over this. Every single day I'd be at work and I'm working on a message or talking with people and navigating. And the only thing going through my mind is 1,650 boxes. (laughs) So then this amazing thing happens. I'm like, okay, God, I've been praying for weeks. What does it look like to have community engagement in San Luis Obispo? And I learned a long time ago that opportunities have shelf lives. God, this is too good to be true. They bring the boxes packed and ready to go. We just got to pass them out. I'm not worrying about this. So literally this series burst out of my worry. And so we went before the church, started to make some phone calls. And accompanied by the, the Catanio Brothers, which is a beef jerky company, which if you live on the Central Valley or Central Coast, big company, their CEO finds out and reaches out to me. He says, hey, I heard you need a pallet jack. I'm like, yes. And I, I, I didn't want to say, yeah, and by the way, I, I need it to be free. Um, <sighs> you're not selling it, are you? It's free. She goes, would you come and stop by? I said, absolutely. So I go and I stop by and very nice lady, very nice store, shows me her pallet jack and she's like, it's all yours, use it as long as you need. I'm like, wow. So I go to walk off and God, God in the only way that God can orchestrate this, she goes, hey, wait, I got one more question for you. Sure. She goes, are you the husband to the lady who wrote a book? And I'm like, well, yeah. I go, my, my wife wrote a book called the, and before I could say it, she said, the good and the awful. I go, yes. She goes, well, your wife did a book signing at Barnes and Nobles and a friend of mine bought the book for me and she actually signed it to me. And then she, it came in this little bag and she goes, the bag has the good and the awful. And she goes, I have it hung up in my room. It's the first thing I see every morning when I wake up. that's amazing she goes yeah she goes my brother died a year ago and that's the premise of the whole book on how to deal with grief and she goes that book has helped me so much and she goes I stare at that bag every single day previously both of her parents had died young with cancer and now she's running this huge company and she's giving us a pallet jack so then all of a sudden, okay, well, we got the pallet jack. What about the forklift? The forklift was the big ticket item, people. Goodness gracious, what are you going to do? Company finds out about it. $13,000 pallet jack. And I was like, hey, God, this is your bill. Help out. This company, because they believe in what we're doing, knocks off $6,500 on the price. And through those in our church, through, through generosity, not only did we, number one, we got the pallet jack before the bill was even paid. That's how much they believed in us. They dropped it off on the truck. It was amazing. And then people heard about it. Even people that don't even attend our church, 
that saw this story on the news and they gave towards that forklift. Not only did we pay off the forklift, we paid off the insurance on the forklift for the rest of the year. I mean, it was an amazing, an amazing thing. And about them volunteers, well, let me just tell you this. We have a little system where one of our volunteers calls all the people on the list and say, okay, you're on this week. And everyone shows up every single week. They can't get enough of this. We've, we've been going for three weeks. We started off with 1,650 boxes a week. In weeks one and two, we completely ran out. Last week, we jumped up to 2,450 boxes and they're all gone. 100,000 pounds of produce, fresh, have been given to families, churches in the area that have partnered with us, school systems and organizations. And the whole time before it started, I'm losing sleep and worried about this deal. And here's God, what are you worried about? And in my mind, what are you doing here? And I'm like, you know what, God, you're right. I don't need to worry. And friends, I'm here to tell you, there's nothing in your life worth worrying about. It won't add anything to you. Bible says in 1 Peter to cast all your cares. One translation says anxieties all on the Lord. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? You guys have been tremendous this morning. As you stand to your feet, would you just let your eyes fall shut? I want to ask just two questions here today. The first question could be whether you're here in the room or watching online. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. You've never given your life over to him. And you're carrying worry, you're carrying doubt, you're carrying fear, you're carrying anxieties, all this stuff that's getting the best of you. And I'm here to tell you today, you could be set free from all of that. And it's by inviting Jesus Christ into your life. So whether you're here in the room or whether you're here watching online, it's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that says, God, I believe you sent your son Jesus to come, to live a life, but to die for my sins. It's saying, God, I believe that he died, but you raised him from the dead. And he's alive in heaven today at this moment at the right hand of the Father praying for me. It's about you saying, God, I invite you into my life to be Lord over everything. And friends, I'm here to tell you whether you're in this room or you're watching online, if you prayed that prayer, and I wanna let you do that today. I want you to have a moment with God. And if you invite him into your life, you're saved. A new journey begins. And this side of heaven, we celebrate with you. My second question is, is you're in the room or you're watching online and you're worried. You've got some big time worries in your life. And until you can confront those things, you won't find victory over it. You gotta confront it. So I'm gonna ask with no one looking around out of privacy, the person to the left or to the right. How many of you would say, Pastor Richman, I've got some worry in my life right now and it's stopping me. Would you just simply raise your hand? Amen, I see your hands, many hands, many hands. Our worship team is gonna lead us in worship and here's the, here's the assignment for you. This is a personal thing with you and God. As we worship, I want you to take that worry. If it's your finances, your marriage, your children, your future, your occupation, maybe it's something that you're dealing with behind the scenes that nobody knows. In this time of worship, I want you to lift your voice to God. I want you to cast all your cares upon him for the Bible says he cares for you. Amen. Amen. Let's lift our hands all across this place. Let's worship the Lord. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media to hear more about what God is doing through our church at Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo. For more information, visit us at canyonhills.com.